Thank you, John. Yeah, thank you. Oh, I'm glad to, glad to be together. Um, I actually feel, I mean, I've drank three cups of coffee, I think, this morning, but I feel pretty good after the weekend. We, uh, Friday night was the, I think we were lights out at 1.30 a.m. or so, um, and really good, rich time, and it, it was, it's already been mentioned, but having Carlos um, there, he's a pastor at Frontier Church in Des Moines, just served us so well, and he didn't meet Jesus till well after high school, and he literally was like, I've never in my life been around middle school and high school students who are worshiping Jesus in this way. He was like, I had to at times just stop. Yeah, like it's yeah. such a gift, yeah. Yeah, and he, he was like, part of his story was like he got injured when he had scholarships to do Division One football and different things, and, and so you think of him as kind of a man's man type guy, and he multiple times, I mean, uh, uh, there was a, a guy that went up to him and just shared with him, uh, Carlos and I were just having a side conversation, and he shared, and he just said, hey, what you just taught, like, that really impacted me, and then, and then the, the kid walked away, and Carlos was like, I need a minute, <laughs> And literally, it was like flooded. He's like, I came here to serve, and these students are serving me, and, um, and just really grateful for that, um, and grateful, and, and also, this has been mentioned, I think, here and there, but um, so many people served this weekend behind the scenes. Um, Nick Tornstra is just amazing in, a, in, a, in the, that setting. Um, he's amazing in other settings, but that setting too is, uh, it's like, man, he, he serves our students so well. Um, just so many, uh, I mean, I, I shouldn't have mentioned anybody by name because I'm not meaning anything by not mentioning other people, but it was just really neat to see the Lord bring together 50, 60 people um, in some way pouring into that moment and, um, and pray for these students, you know, as the Lord has has communicate things to them and to all of us that were part of it, that um, that, that wouldn't just be like, a, oh, that, I just kind of was swept in that moment, now I'm back to regular life, but that the Lord would, would form them in a way that we actually are being led by them in some areas, and that we're actually kind of drafting off of them as, as they are pursuing Jesus, and he's uh, making them alive in him, so... So that was grateful, and I'm grateful for us to be continuing this series that we're calling To the Church. It's kind of a shorter series that will lead into our series leading up to Easter, which is around the corner. And last week, what we looked at is Jesus being the treasure really given to the church. And the focus last week was how Jesus is our shepherd. He is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So I am a pastor here. I am not the shepherd and overseer of anybody's soul, including mine. Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of my soul and the soul of everybody in our church. And um, he is our savior. He's our life. He's our protector. Um, and this week even, just I wasn't planning on spending time in John chapter 7, um, but I just happened one morning to open up John chapter 7, and I was like, Knowing I've I've read this section many times, and and I was like, have I read this many times? Because it's hitting me in in a way that feels like the first time. Um, John seven verse thirty seven says, "On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out." I love that descriptor. It, it, you know, so and said. It doesn't say and said. It says he stood up. And cried out, 
If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Would you all mind, I just feel compelled to pray right now that this word would actually get into us. So Lord, we... We do pray a lot here because we believe that we aren't the ones that are in control. We pray because we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. And apart from you, this word will bounce off our minds, bounce off our hearts. And we want to be changed by you. We don't want to play at church. We want your word, not just to be a written word on a page long ago, but that The living God is talking to us right now in real time. So would your word find its home in us, we pray. If anyone thirsts, this is not physical thirst. It it becomes very clear that, that Jesus isn't talking about physical thirst. But he is asking, is anyone's life here thirsty? Do you have a thirst? Are you spiritually thirsty? If, if someone asks you, in a part, like, how are you doing? Maybe ask you, how are you really doing? And if you could say, thirsty might be a good, parched, could be a descriptor. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, we should come to him and drink. Drink in the presence of Jesus Drink in the promises of Jesus. Any who believe in Jesus, all who believe, if anyone thirsts, not just, hey, I don't mean you, I know your background, you are out, but I'm I'm talking, no, if anyone thirsts, all who come to Jesus, and that is shocking, that that he would give such an invitation and, and, um, promise the things he's promising. What really shocked me this week is this next part, that out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And I think, I don't know how I've read this in the past, but what struck me in a fresh way this week is that the his, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water is not talking about Jesus. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. The his is our hearts. That that is the, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Then he clarifies, now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him, the his and the hers, were to receive For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified, which he is now. So when we come to Jesus thirsty, when when our lives are thirsty, feeling like we have nothing to give, feeling like we have no energy, no vibrancy about us, 
our lives are parched, when we come to Jesus, we aren't just quenched. You know, and sometimes it'd be like, man, I'd take like 20% improvement. That would be a win for my day or a win for my mind or a win for my life. But what Jesus is talking about isn't like, oh, you'll, you'll get quenched 100%. You, you're empty, you will get filled up. What's shocking is that that's not what is being communicated to us. What is being communicated to us is that when we come to him thirsty and we drink from him, that out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. Like that's what the spirit is poised to do when we come to him and have him working inside of us. The Holy Spirit will be given in a unique way. We're taught this in other places in Scripture, that having believed, we're each filled with the Holy Spirit, who's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit is given in a unique way to all who come to Jesus and give their lives to Jesus. And he works in our lives in a way that thirsty people who need to be poured into are made into a people who are being poured into by him to the level that it is overflowing, rivers of living water flowing from us to our brothers, to our sisters, to our enemies, to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, our community. And as this is happening in each of us, and we're learning to continue not to just be like, thanks, I'll see you in heaven. But we're learning that we get thirsty over and over and over again. And instead of letting our thirst drive us away from him, our thirst has us keep coming back to him. And as that is happening and he's continuing to fill us up in a way that's overflowing rivers of living water, that Lord willing, he's building a church out of us, out of us thirsty people who he is pouring into and that, that when our, hey, I know how I can really have fulfillment here. I'm gonna control my life and I'm gonna control all the people around me and I'm gonna control my kids and I'm gonna control everybody so that there's nothing out of my control and I will reign from my throne and we, various ways, that's a default for all of us. And that leaves us thirsty because it's like, this isn't working. And I'm thirsty. And, and he pouring into us, quenching that, and Lord willing, overflowing that, teaching us new ways to be human, then that is, Lord willing, transforming us and transforming our community and, to the church, this is a gift. And one of the areas we should see as a gift in this thirst and filling is that, that there are people who God would be raising up, and we touched on this last week, and we're gonna move more into this, is that to the church are given under shepherds. Jesus is the shepherd, and there are lowercase s, shepherds 
who are following the shepherd and who are being described as saying, I am in all of this. There are some people that I am going to raise up in the church to come alongside this whole thing. And 1 Peter 5, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1 really specifically speak to this. Um, We'll spend time this morning in Titus 1 passage, many other passages we could look at too. Verse 5 starts by saying this, what has been given to the church. This is why I left you in Crete. This is Titus 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, which is an island west of Israel, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So we'll we'll just pause there. So Titus is a guy who is in Crete, and he is an elder there. He's a shepherd is another term. He's a pastor. He's been there as a sole elder. So if you're a part of that church in Crete, um, and it's like, hey, who's your pastor? Titus. And part of his mission being there is to do all the things that a pastor should do and is taught to do in Scripture And part of his mission is to raise up other pastors from inside the church, other elders from the area to pastor. Then Paul says what to look for. And it's awesome. We we know from Scripture that Paul led Titus to Jesus. Didn't grow up in a Christian home, doesn't have Jewish background. And so, you know, all of this is new to him, (laughs) as it is to many of us. And um, Paul is telling him what to look for in raising up fellow pastors to lead the church. And we know Titus is not a brand new believer. We know like seven years before this, he actually carried the letter of 2 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. Paul like, he was like, here, take this. And he took it there and then taught it to them. And now this is many years later. So he's been a part of, of leadership and, and ministry for quite some time, been with Paul for a long time. Uh, then the first thing, that, he, that Paul communicates to Titus is that this person, a, a pastor being raised up in the church to become a pastor, should be above reproach. Um, e, the ESV, which is, which is the translation of Scripture that, that we use at, right now in the church, there, there could be times in the future that, that we use a different translation because all of Scripture was written in, in Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic. And so everything we read is a translation of, of that, and we believe faithful translation, but there are different ways to translate different words. So the ESV uses the two-word combo above reproach to refer to one word that Paul wrote. The King James, the NIV, the CSB, the ASV translate that original word. The original word is anakletos that Paul wrote. They translate the word as blameless. So above reproach, blameless. Like, what does this word mean? And as I was like really in a fresh way this week looking into it, it's very clear that an elder can't be perfect. I am personally aware of this every single day of my life, is an elder can't be perfect. Even 
Paul will tell Timothy later, recorded in 1 Timothy 4.12, to actually part of your leadership is to let them see your progress. Let them see how you are growing. So an elder can't be perfect. An elder sins. John is known as like the elder, and he tells us if we say we're without, without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. So an elder sins. An elder even can have enemies. Jesus told us, if they hate me, don't be surprised if they hate you. Okay, now, I shouldn't have enemies because I, like, Brandon shouldn't be my enemy because I go up and punch him in the face. It's like, no, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Like, that's on you. Like, you should not have punched him in the face. But when we look at above reproach, we're not looking like, does he have any enemies? It's like, he actually could have a ton of enemies in the same way that Jesus would if he was on the ground saying the same things or doing the same things. So, what does anencletos mean? What it, what it seems to mean, who people are really studying this, is a person who does a good job repenting of their sin. A person who does a good job repenting of their sin when they're confronted with their sin. R.C. Sproul, who's been face-to-face with Jesus for some time now, uh, but served the church really well when he was alive. R.C. Sproul says, being above reproach is not perfection, but honestly regarding your personal sin and corresponding evidence of repentance. No one is perfect until they are glorified, but all of us must constantly strive to turn from sin. So, so this, this word, um, this above reproach, blameless, anencletos, we're gonna see it again mentioned section. It seems to be kind of like an umbrella statement of now all of these different traits that we're going to look into and see. And the first area, which might not be surprising, that's brought up is in marriage. You know, marriage is a really great opportunity for your sin to to become brought up and very strong opportunities for repentance every day. And a question is, is this man characterized as a one-woman man? Paul, who's writing this, who tells us he's an elder, never married. So this is not telling us that you have to be married. It's saying if you're married or single, what, you're, what we're seeing in your thirsty life, coming to Jesus and having him fill you up, is what we're seeing is a growing picture of faithfulness in life towards marriage. Is, is this person characterized in that way? Um, the acts of marriage. Are we seeing this person's life that they are, as they're walking with Jesus, that that is being more and more and more treasured in a relationship between one man and one woman? Like, is this a one woman man when we think about marriage? Next, how are his kids The salvation of kids, which we'd all agree, thankfully, the salvation of kids is in God's hands. Like, like, you know, if there are plenty of stories that of, like, man, you can do everything right as a parent in some ways, and your kid doesn't follow Jesus. And that's in their, that's like we, what we're doing at the well, what we're doing stuff is not to guarantee that our kids will walk with Jesus because they, God gives them free will. And there's no formula other than God 
drawing this person to himself and them responding in faith, right? When we look at this person, though, what we're saying is, are they leading in a way, are they leading their family in a way towards Jesus and away from debauchery, away from insubordination? When their life gets thirsty in parenting, when their life gets thirsty in marriage, are they going to Jesus and are we seeing the spirit flow into them to others? And this scripture is not just to a few people, it's to all of us. This is to all of us as we're thirsty in marriage, thirsty in parenting, but there are four guys in this room right now. I think everybody is in this room, I might be wrong. Actually, there might be three of us in the room right now, but four people in the building where these verses do hold a closer scrutiny. And the first is me. So I've been the sole elder of sacred mission for several years now, and we, we've entered into a specific time to walk down the road to seek to change that, to add to our number those who are pastoring here. And by God's grace, we think we're a church of about 200 people, um, about 170 come on a particular Sunday. But we'd say that's about how many people would say, this is my church, you are my pastor. And, um, and for many reasons, we're, we're asking the Lord to add to our number. Uh, in that area, and for the last several months, we've, we've spent hours and hours having meetings, dinners, trainings, books read. We had a sleepover that we called a retreat because that's a more manly way to talk about a sleepover um, with three other guys diving into their lives. And so the three guys that we've been really pouring into around this are uh, Amos Green, which I think Amos is the only one that's not. Is Amos in here? Oh, you are in here. Could you stand up, Amos? I didn't see you. Uh, then Jonathan, Phil Green, and Cody Hinton. Do you guys mind just standing up so everybody can, can see you? Um, so, uh, so these guys have been in a leadership development process that hopefully many other men in our church will walk into over the years to come. And I've been meeting with these guys around these qualifications and seeing one of the things that's been a joy is seeing their repentance, seeing how Jesus is forming them, seeing them lead in, in many ways in our church. Each of these guys and their spouses are leading community groups, um, leading in the well. And um, one thing that I would just invite us is I would love for each of us to get closer to these guys, and they are wanting to get closer to you. And what I would encourage you to do is like let them get, let them get to know you. Let them minister the word of God to you. Lord willing, um, Lord willing, where we're going with this is the next step in this process will be to have these men um, or to have men become elder apprentices. Um, and so that's maybe what sounds like on-the-job training. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a time that's letting us experience their lives more closely and their leadership abilities more closely and to see their character, to see their ability to pastor. Um, we're working together on, with others on like what markers of health should look like for us to see when it's time for them to go from, into an elder apprentice, then from an elder apprentice into an elder candidate, and which an elder candidate would be, hey, we really feel like the church agrees, like we, we do feel like he's calling these men at this time to this role, 
And when they're a candidate, it's like, hey, we are giving a little bit of time for everybody to affirm that, and, but we are believing that they are on the road to become an elder, okay? So, so those steps, and we don't want this to be something that takes 20 years to go through this process, and we don't want it to happen in a week. So it's like, God, give us the pace, give us the time, let us really not just like see the like, yes, that needs to happen right away, but to see each guy really soberly and clearly and be like, yes, we've, we've had a chance to walk in this together. And so during this time of, of training, um, even before the elder apprentice stage, then during the elder apprentice time, then during the elder candidate time, man, I encourage you to communicate with me, communicate with these men, with their wives, and let's just, let's just pray a lot, talk a lot, and, um, and just really honor the importance that Paul's giving to Titus and giving to us in this. Because let me tell you, like multiple pastors is a huge gift to me personally, gigantic gift to me personally. Multiple pastors is a gift to our church. Multiple pastors is a gift to the care of our church, the leadership of our church, and would God give us the grace to walk together as we look to him to build his church? So does that sound okay to, for us to lock arms there? And for us to realize, and I feel like this is gigantic, is these qualifications are not just for elders. What actually is being communicated to us, and we're, we, we've got quite a bit left that we're gonna step into this morning of, of more that is told, but even on this front end, this is for all Christians who are thirsty and coming to Jesus and having the Spirit overflow us and how that's impacting other people. If that is just happening to a handful of people in the room, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like the, the, the treasure that we have is Jesus is saying, everybody come to me who's thirsty. And this is going to overflow the transformation, the change that is gonna happen in our lives is gonna be what changes our lives. Changed lives, changed lives. So this is a list for all of us. This is expectation for all of us, that all of us, not just those who are stepping towards eldership, but Lord, would you do what I, like I'm just trying to have my thirst quenched and you're actually seeking to use me to change my life and the people's lives around me. And it's like, God, would, you, would that be our church? Would that be what he is leading us into, what he's doing here? And then Paul goes on and continues the type of people that are gonna be given to the church. Look at verse seven. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So arrogance, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent, or greedy for gain must not characterize these men. These men, it can be true that they have lived there at, time, at one time. It could be that, that there's some part of this that is still in their life. It's not saying like, hey, all of these must be ripped fully out of their lives. But 
what should be true is they're not living there now. This does not characterize them. What we see is, man, we can show you repentance in this area and we can see that, that there has been transformation in this area that God is actually using this to transform other people in our body. And, and if any of us are living there now, you know, you might be like, hey, that just described me to a T. <laughs> Don't get out of here. Like, you know, th- this isn't the type, like, like, it's like you're here because he loves you so much that he doesn't want this to characterize you going forward. Um, he actually wants to show his power through your life in changing. And man, some of that, that's, we see that happen in our step study, community groups, we pray into that. Our gatherings on Sunday is, um, is, he doesn't throw away any of us. He doesn't throw away any of our stories. And um, if these things are true of any of us, thankfully he's not gonna throw us away. Actually, he's going to invite us to repentance invite us to look more like him, and he's actually poised to give us the power to actually do it. Yeah. So have we seen fruit of transformation in their lives and then naturally in our lives? Seeing transformation, seeing God change us, and then in verse eight, like this is like fruit of the change. Hospitable, a lover of good, Self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. None of, like, this is a list that perfectly describes Jesus. It really is. He is hospitable. He loves what is good. He is self-controlled. I mean, I had many moments of not self-controlled at the Well Winter Weekend because every junk food that I love was out there. And it's your fault because you supplied it. I'm blaming you. No, like it's, uh, it, was, it was good to, to just feast and splurge, you know. Um, but there are many times I was like, oh, man, I, that one cake I want to eat so bad, but I'm not going to because I, I need at least some self-control in my life. But Jesus is self-controlled. Like that is who he is, and he's never not self-controlled. He is upright. He is holy. He is disciplined, which is why he says, come to me. Don't go to holy don't go to upright, don't go to discipline, you can't get there. I am those things, and the closer you get to me, the more that those things will start being reflected in your life. So there's all of these character-type qualities. And then in verse 9, we start to see competence and skill, too. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. Do they hold firm to scripture? Do we hold firm to scripture? Are they able to know scripture and teach scripture in a way where sound doctrine is being learned and false doctrine is being rejected? We wanna see that in these men and we wanna see it in all of our lives. When your kids come and ask you a question, that, that we've all been discipled in a way that we can teach sound doctrine and teach them to rebuke false doctrine in their own hearts, in their own minds, with their friends, on the sports teams. Do they have the ability to do this in our church in 2024? And then we see the need for this to continue in verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, 
empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. In my Bible, I've, I've, I've noted and underlined the phrase, there are many. Like, there are going to be many people in our lives. Um, some of us were those people, and Jesus is changing us. There are many who are insubordinate, who talk in a way where they make big noise, but what they're saying is hollow, or what they're saying is not what God taught us to think or say. There are many who deceive. And the example that, that Paul gives to Titus, and they surely they've had a lot of conversation, Titus is probably like, I don't, man, am I thinking about this right? Am I seeing this right? The circumcision party. So there was a whole group inside of the church in Crete who even were a party, like, you know, they, they were almost like a, like, like they had their own, like, Republican Party, Democratic Party. It's like, oh, I'm part of the circumcision party in the Church of Crete. And I was like, God, please, would you destroy any party in our church that would be a faction inside of our church? But here, there's a circumcision party, and what they are saying is that for you to come to Jesus, so we have the whole Old Testament, which is God's word, and then we have the New Testament, for for someone to actually come to Jesus, they first have to become Jewish. So they basically have to obey the Old Testament in its, in all, in its teachings to then be able to come to Jesus. Now, we, are people, we, we just finished preaching through the book of Genesis. We are believing all 39 books of the Old Testament are completely word for every word is God's word to us. But what they are telling Titus, what they're telling the church is if every male is not circumcised, he's not a Christian. And if every male is not circumcised, they're disobeying that teaching in the Old Testament and they are not saved. So if someone says, yes, I give my life to Jesus, and then they die in a chariot accident, um, they did not go to heaven. And a fascinating thing with this group is Titus, their lead pastor, is not circumcised. He was led to Jesus. He's not Jewish. So what they're saying is our pastor is not a Christian. Our pastor does not know Jesus because he's not circumcised. Now, how they know that, I don't know. But, um, but sorry, that was inappropriate. That's not in my notes. Um, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for that. But uh, it brings up interesting questions in this discussion. Um, but I, in the pressure of the moment, I think Titus could be like, man, there's a whole group of people in our church who are saying, I have to do this. And, all, you know, like, maybe, maybe I should just, like, agree and for them to be, you know, for us to be able to walk together and all this stuff. And what I think is just fascinating is probably in the fog of the battle here, what Paul tells Titus to do is silence them. You have to silence that group because what starts happening with stuff is that debates are happening that are taking people away from Jesus, taking thirsty people away from going to him. And it doesn't mean it's, there aren't appropriate times to have appropriate conversations and stuff, but what he is saying here is like, you have to lead in a way where you are refusing 
to be caught up in debates that are taking people away from the power and the, and the fought for power that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved, period. There's nothing that needs to be done outside of that. There's nothing that needs to be added to that. The, the power that there is no remaining sacrifice needed when you accept the sacrifice of Jesus for your soul. Now we follow him, we take up our cross and follow him, and it, 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 our lives hopefully start becoming more and more and more sacrificial as he is the center and, and we are no longer the, the king of our souls, the captain of our fate and ridiculous things like that. Um, our life is changed, but you don't have to change your life to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and have him change your life. And what Paul is telling Titus is we have to see the competency before you install this person as elder. We have to see the competency that these people are able to do this in their families. They're able to do this in their lives. And knowing that what, what we're hopefully doing is as we follow Jesus, that these men, me, were, were sharpening each other where we're doing this as a church. So Titus shows us many facets of character and many facets of ability. And we should pray for these men that stood up. I would love for you to pray for me as this is in our cancel culture, in um, me knowing my motives are never, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna silence them. It's like, no, they're actually saying things that you should listen to, right? And then there are times where it's like, oh man, they, no, you should silence that, right? It's like, that's why, one of, the, one of the job descriptions of an elder is to pray. You know, if you ask me, like, hey, Tim, what have you done for the last three hours? Oh, I've prayed. Are we paying him to do that? You know, I, we're, praying him to, we're paying him to pray. Or and I'm not saying that's like all I do, but it's like to say like, yes. <laughs> we realize what God is doing in our community, Lord willing, that like if we aren't praying, um, we can't hear him lead us, right? And that we're praying for each other. You're praying for me. I'm praying for you. This, all of this, all of the facets of character, all the facets of ability apply to every one of us. They really do. Coming to Jesus with thirsty souls and as he fills us up with salvation, as he fills us up with his presence, as he fills us up with his words, as the spirit gives power to us, and that a power that's actually transforming us to the point where instead of just feeling quenched, which all of us would love to feel quenched, but he's like, no, I love you too much for that. I actually am desired to quench these areas in your life to the point that other people around you are being changed as you are being changed in this area. Living streams of living water flowing from us, and it can't come from us trying harder it can't come from us listening to the right podcast, talking to the right person. It comes foremost from us going to him, looking to him to fill us so we'd overflow to others with lives being transformed. And so, Lord, I just ask of you, would you do this in our lives? And this all sounds impossible if you don't do it. We can't generate that and I believe every one of us wants that in this room. And if we don't want that, Lord, would, would we see that that's concerning? And would our prayer be, God, would you, would you make me want that?
Lord, would we together come to you as thirsty people and um, let you take it from there. Jesus, we pray. Amen.